0: From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams.
1: I think innovation is becoming something that's more at the forefront, something that that people default to more often than they used to with revenue cycle. Um, But they've got to continue to look at, at innovation in terms of you know, what are we doing that is reimbursable? Are we making sure we're capturing that? Have we done everything we could to make the process of claim submission and and claims posting receipt of money most efficient? And not only that, but who can we partner with?
0: That's Taya Moheiser talking about the need for innovation in the revenue cycle. We'll hear more from Taya as well as Kim Tolliver in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Spend more time doing what you love, caring for patients, and less time on clinical documentation. Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX, captures the patient story securely and accurately to automatically document at the point of care for increased efficiency and patient throughput. Discover how DAX provides a better patient experience, and eliminates afterward documentation. Visit Nuance.com DAX to sign up for a live stream demo and explore how DAX, Nuance's ambient clinical intelligence solution, can transform your organization. Our guests today are Kim Tolliver and Taya Moheiser. Kim and Taya are two of the most prominent experts in the field of revenue cycle management. They're the authors of the book, Revenue Cycle Management, Don't Get Lost in the Financial Maze, and they're co-speakers at the upcoming MGMA Pathways Conference in May. And most recently, they led the education for the popular Revenue Cycle Certificate Program that's now available on demand. Kim, Taya. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having of us. Of course, Thanks for having us.
0: Now, just as a reminder, the last time we had you on the show was in the fall of 2019. A, a lot has happened since the fall of 2019. And so, no kidding. A, exactly. <laughs> so I want to just Get an update then what life has been like for the two of you over the past, you know, year and some change there and what you've been hearing from practices as well where their pain points have been. Taya, let's uh, start with you first then.
1: Sure. I guess, um, you know, the, the thing that's on the forefront of everybody's mind right now is the public health emergency and certainly I think that's been the biggest change for all of us. Uh, since the last time we talked, I I mean, what, it it was about four months later, the entire world changed. And so, you know, the things that we see on the forefront originally were, you know, how to stay open, how to get funding. And those things have shifted in my perspective to a lot of conversations around uh, telehealth and reimbursement and, uh, you know, rotating schedules with providers, double masking patients who can come in as guests with patients, changing those protocols, and then you know, if we do see the end of a public health emergency and we all certainly hope we do, what does that look like? Um, and how do we change back from what we had? What processes are we keeping? What are we losing? and, and how is that impacting reimbursement and revenue?
2: Yeah. And uh,
1: Kim, I, I'm not sure what you're seeing, but but that's what I'm seeing over here.
2: You know one of the the things that I'm seeing is just folks trying to get a handle on all of the different changes and just trying to keep up with those changes. Knowing where to go to get, um, you know, information that's relevant, that's timely, and that's accurate, um, that's been a really important role that I think um, healthcare leaders have had to play, is being that information resource for everyone in their in their organizations.
0: Yeah. Well, Kim, let's stick with you then. Um, we're going to be taking a deep dive into... Rev cycle management today, both of you have been out there talking to practices a lot in the past year. What's been top of mind to them? What's, where have the pain points been related to that rev cycle?
2: I think one of the, the pain points is patient payments, um, ballooning patient accounts receivable, and, and really trying to keep a handle on that by using touchless payments, by um, innovating patient payment options. I I think another theme has really been around um, overseeing remote workforces and using tools to give them consistent resources while they're working from home or offsite uh, and, and being able to keep those lines of communications open for staff who may not be in the office working right now. So those are, have been uh, two of the important themes that I've been seeing. How about you, Taya? Have you seen anything?
1: Yeah, I would have to say that, that that's probably the, the things that I'm really seeing. I mean, um, the biggest pain point has been continuity since since March of last year. And not only that, but the, the rapid evolution of their continuity plans. I, I think most people look at their business continuity plan perhaps annually. I mean, you know, every session you and I have, we suggest that they're looking at those things at least annually. And now those business continuity plans are top of the desk, top of the pile. So it's definitely a shift in in process. And, and that's a pain point. And you also see a lot of payers changing what they're doing as well. I, I've spoken to a couple of people out of New York who are seeing payers shifting in policies and adding fees where there weren't fees before and, and things of that nature, which also provide a challenge to practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: Tay, I wanted to come back to that real quick. Then you talked about the continuity plans. Um, why is that? Why specifically has that been such a problem?
1: Well, you know, the challenge with business continuity plans is you're you're really looking at how you are going to keep your organization open in the event um, of certain circumstances, right? In the event that we have a fire, how are we going to keep the practice going? In the event that uh, we have a flood. You know, you, can, you can't predict natural disasters, but you can plan for them, right? Kim, her practices may have hurricane protocols in their business continuity plan where I'm not going to have that being in the Midwest, but I'm definitely going to have one for tornadoes. I don't think that anyone really had done um, their justice at the, at the private practice level to prepare for this in a way that they could just pull out a manual and say, okay, there's a pandemic, we know exactly what we're going to do and even if they had, they didn't know what everyone else was going to do and how everyone else was going to react. Some states shut fully down. Uh, Some of the payers, you know, they had to shift all of their individuals to work from home, so even just getting questions answered on what was going to be reimbursed was a challenge. So those initial continuity plans had to be drafted. Um, They had to be optimized. Organizations had to look at what really works for them and for their patient population and their community, and then even after that, those things continue to evolve. Each time we have a new rule come out from from CMS or from the government or each time a payer changes their reimbursement policies, those business continuity plans shift a little bit because what you have to do in order to remain open is going to change as legislation changes. Uh, You know, for example, Kim and I are are looking at doing a session um, at the medical practice, uh, the Pathways event that's coming up in May, on what to do after the public health emergency because there's so many there's so many regulations that have come into play that are going to expire at the end of the public health emergency and though we don't know when that is it's going to affect business continuity uh, if you look at for example telephonic reimbursement right now that's something that rural health practices are using to stay open and to continue to treat their patients um, when that disappears, then, you know, how are they going to continue after that? How are they going to continue to see their patients? And that's something they need to look at and, and plan ahead for.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I'll just tie in
2: there. You know, there are various stakeholders who have a vested interest in medical organizations having a business continuity plan. And I'll, I'll just give you an example. Um, you know, my team and I are working with managed care. Uh, DC um, Medicaid MCOs, and those MCOs have a vested interest in making sure that their uh, enrolled providers stay uh, engaged with their EHR so that they can get HEDIS information and EPSDT information. Uh, Even your MedMal coverage uh, insurance plans, they have a vested interest to make sure that their policyholders uh, are remaining compliant, that they're, you know, having risk reduction plans. So there are also a number of stakeholders involved in, uh, you know, the, the the necessity of having that business continuity plan within a, a medical organization.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. Um, Tay, I want to come back to you. I mean, one of the things that you and Kim talk about a lot is innovating the REV cycle. You were talking about this before the pandemic. Now that that yeah. hit healthcare, we know a lot of the innovation was having to be taking place in, uh, with technology and other places there. I mean, talk about innovation to you and the REV cycle. What does that look like?
1: Yes, we, you're right, Daniel. We absolutely have been. And I think for both of us, you know, when you look at innovation, it, you're really talking about anticipating future needs and then finding ways to solve for those. And using creativity, however possible, and, and optimizing that process. and so you know it's a lot of buzzwords, but really what we're talking about is looking at what you're going to need to do in the future and finding the best way to accomplish that today before the need happens or the before the need occurs and And so that's really what what innovation is when it comes to the revenue cycle. You need to look at those things that you can do in your practice better or ways that you can prevent denials, ways that you can bring in additional reimbursement or bring in reimbursement faster in a way that perhaps is non-standard in the industry today. I think before when we were talking about innovation um, we had a lot of organizations just simply asking what is everybody else doing or you know, that's not what we've always done or the way we've always done it, which is, you know, something we hate to hear, you know, don't look at the way we've always done it, look at the way we can do it now. One of the silver linings, I think, of the pandemic and this huge shift is that organizations were forced to innovate. Um, you know, organizations that really were still not fully using their EHR are now not only optimizing it and optimizing their practice management system, but they've also implemented telehealth and mHealth solutions. So. I think innovation is becoming something that's more at the forefront, something that, that people default to more often than they used to with revenue cycle, um, but they've got to continue to look at, at innovation in terms of, you know, what are we doing that is reimbursable? Are we making sure we're capturing that? Have we done everything we could to make the process of claim submission and, and claims posting the receipt of money most efficient? And not only that, but who is? <laughs> who can we partner with and how are we partnering with other organizations um, to make sure that we have longevity in our revenue cycle? You know, Are we partnering with other payers or other community programs to become a cog in the wheel that, that drives some long-term viability for our organization? Um, that's kind of where I see that innovation needs to be done. And, and obviously a lot of that steps outside of the revenue cycle but all of it impacts the revenue cycle All that is driving revenue towards your organization or driving it there more expediently than it was coming before.
0: Mm-hmm. Kim, did you want to add anything to that or?
2: Yeah. You know, I was just going to say when, when you are looking to innovate your revenue cycle, I think it's also about prevention, right? So Taya mentioned denial prevention, but then there's also prevention of revenue leakage, right? So, Taya and I are passionate about uh, n- you know deciding whether or not virtual credit card payment acceptance is best practice in organizations. However, you know that's one of the areas that we see revenue leakage, so really understanding where your money's going, regardless of the you know the the amount of that money. It could be um, you know fifty cents, but that fifty cents adds up interest payments. Um, you know, all of these things really add up, and then also having those denial prevention processes in place. So denial prevention, it it's really about submitting a clean claim, right? So making sure that no information that's put into your system is incorrect. So really going through processes to look at those claims edits before claims go out the door, having a chart prep process. These seem like pretty basic. Steps, however, they're pretty innovative when you tie them to your your revenue cycle and provide that those resources to your workforce.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have an example of a practice then that's been doing some of these, putting some things into practice that we could hear about? Kind of walk us through that.
2: So there is a practice that uh, is in Annapolis, Maryland. So I'm in I'm in Maryland, the crab state. And um, (laughs) one practice that I see who is really thriving right now is an early adopter of telehealth. And that really goes back to their understanding of the, the many different ways that they can provide their care delivery, right? They did not just stick to the traditional path. And that practice is really thriving because when the public health emergency hit, they were already ahead of the curve, right? They already had processes in place to collect uh, patients' payments virtually. Uh, You know, they already had touchless payments in place. Um, They were able to maximize their electronic health records and their patient portals to have communications with their patients. All while still meeting those MIPS and um, advanced alternative payment model measures to keep them going. So, so I think early adopters of telehealth um, organizations who really um, optimize their electronic health records and those additional technology supplements that that really help with um, scrubbing claims and and kind of partnering with the clearinghouse.
0: Mm-hmm. Taya, walk us through some steps then, like if I know that processes are very, very important to practices, when you can get those steps and those processes set up, it makes things a lot easier, so for our listeners, are there some steps they could be taking then to make these things a reality in their practice?
1: Absolutely, and I think think one of the things I'd really like to highlight, because a lot of A lot of individuals, a lot of organizations and leaders are already focused on finding new processes and implementing them quickly. I think we've all learned now how to think, quick on our feet, how to disseminate that information. But there's some reminders I really would want to to give to the listeners. And I think first and foremost would be to remember that evidence-based management Um, Look out at what other organizations are doing. And I don't mean just reach out to, you know, don't just phone a friend. Look at those evidence-based protocols that have already proven effective. You know, we're, we're not in the first or second month of the public health emergency. I mean, at this point, we're almost a year out. So there is evidence out there as to what's working and what isn't working. And once you have implemented changes, continue to document what you've changed, when you've changed it, just like you would do if you were doing a science experiment almost, you know, you want to document those changes and when you affected those changes. So that when you look back and please look back at points, you know, maybe it's a quarterly look back or an annual look back, but please look back at your performance, and when you do look back at your performance and you see changes in your revenue cycle or changes in your patient base, you see changes in overall reimbursement or the time to payment, you can tie it back to processes that you changed and identify if those had any direct impact on what changes you're seeing in your revenue cycle. It's really important because the last thing you want to do is try to recall what changes you made in September, say, of 2020 that have, that impacted your revenue cycle, perhaps, September of 2020 was your best month financially and you can't track it backwards because you didn't document what changes you've done prior to that that initiated that great reimbursement. So definitely look at the evidence-based management changes and those processes. There's a lot of information out there right now on what's been tried and what hasn't worked and what has worked. Don't attempt to reinvent the wheel. It's not worth your time. Lean on the benefit of others' experience. It'll save you time in the long run. And then, in addition to that, um, just make sure to document those changes so that you can look back and and optimize your processes in an ongoing in an ongoing fashion.
0: Hmm. Kim, once the processes are in place, <laughs> you got to know if they're working or not. So, how do you measure it? What are some of the benchmarks or KPIs you'd recommend practices take a look at?
2: Well, you know, I think. The, the selection of KPIs really boils down to what information you wanna track, right? Um, and then why you wanna track it. You know, what goals have you set with these metrics? And deciding whether or not you have, have not, or maybe even exceeded your goals. And then also thinking about you know, what time period you want to track. All of these questions I, I think are really important in selecting and measuring your KPIs. So, let's say, for example, you want to um, make physician compensation decisions. Thinking about where you want to get that data. Obviously, MGMA has, uh, you know, physician compensation surveys. So, that's going to be a really great resource to, to use to get that information. But then also think about, okay, once you get that benchmark information, what type of information within your organization are you gonna tie it to, right? You can tie it to um, schedule performance, you can tie it to CPT, productivity, your payer mix. I, I mean, you know, you could go on and on. Um, some of the KPIs that I like to look at are going to be referring physicians. So whether or not you see any trends in drop-offs or uh, increases in, in referrals from certain providers, um cpt uh utilization i think is is another important one as a coder i look out for overuse of 99213 or you know those those level 3 cpt codes um un- unfortunately sometimes providers are a little concerned that they may not necessarily meet the guidelines for certain cpt codes however we we kind of find that they even um exceed those those requirements based on the documentation. Um, and then just kind of thinking about the the way that you are tracking your KPIs. So there's going to be virtual KPIs. I'm sorry, I said virtual. Everything's virtual now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but thinking about vertical KPIs. So yeah. those are going to be your income, your productivity, your aging, AR, the credit balances, and then your horizontal KPIs. So that's going to be, you know, Your organization participating with with, uh, certain measures like MIPS and advanced uh, payment models, those KPIs are, you know, they're going to require dashboard measurements. So I think using and optimizing dashboards for any value-based programs that you are participating with allows you to kind of track that information, not only for those programs, but for your internal financial health as well.
0: Mm hmm Now, thank you for giving us that information. It's always good to be able to build out the steps, the processes, then turn around and measure it to make sure things are in fact working. Um, I wanted to go over something else that you, the two of you were recently involved in. Um, Just a few weeks ago, you led a six hour revenue cycle certificate program uh, for the MGMA audience. Uh, Taya, I want to start with you here. Um, what was the main goal sure. uh, you and Kim had for this presentation? What were you trying to achieve in uh, leading this leading this presentation, and to ultimately get people to, you know, to earn this uh, RevCycle certificate?
1: Absolutely. I think um, you know it may sound a little cheesy, but for Kim and I, it was a huge opportunity to give back to MGMA. Okay. I think that both she and I, uh, in the course of, you know, we have a lot of experience here. I'm not going to say how much because neither of us wants to on this, <laughs> but she and I have a lot of experience, many years put in, and um, a lot of what we learned was either on the job training or through Programs that MGMa had, independent sessions, attending conferences, being part of our state leadership association, um, and then other, you know, other avenues wherever we could pick up revenue cycle information. And through the course of us just trying to consume all of this, you know, we're both kind of revenue cycle nerds. We we love to consume anything revenue cycle. And but through the course of it, I think what we really learned was that this information it wasn't really distilled in one central location. And it would be much easier for organizations to find success if they didn't have to do what we did through the course of, of our educational process, right, and our learning curve. We kind of had to chase the information and, and look all over the place for the information. And MGMA um, provided this wonderful platform to, to give all of this information in one centralized, comprehensive way to its members, which is such a beautiful thing. And the opportunity for us to give back to MGMA, to give back to the members was just huge. So our goal was really to to distill everything that we knew about it, everything we've been able to find out from other industry leaders. Um, You know, we reached out to a lot of them while we were drafting the book. And so uh, we were able to leverage a lot of that um, content as well for the certificate program. And so in addition to that, you know, I think the, the other goal is for organizations to know that the individuals they have leading their revenue cycles um, have, you know, obtained some sort of didactic education in that and and know what they're doing as it relates to revenue cycle management, and also that they have something to lean on as a resource if you have a question in revenue cycle management. because not everything happens every single day. You know, a lot of the things that, that pop up, I don't wanna say use it or lose it, but you know, if you're not dealing with specific you know, nitty gritty taxonomy details daily, some of that stuff wanes. So having this even as a refresher is nice as well.
2: And, and I'll just add to that, I think um, when you think about the, the financial management domain within MGMA's body of knowledge in the past, Revenue cycle management wasn't there. And we were so glad to see MGMA take a an industry leadership approach to adding revenue cycle management to, you know, to that domain and including it as part of the overall certificate program for financial management. Because, um, you know, I we get a lot of questions about whether or not we're billers, right? Mm-hmm. And Revenue cycle management and billing are not one and the same. Um, billing is a component, oh, right? <laughs> Get that so much. It's no, louder for the people no, in the no. back. Yes. <laughs> but billing is a component of revenue cycle management. And that's really what we wanted to uh, express within the the certificate program. And, and really go through those different building blocks of the overall revenue cycle model, because there are so many pieces that tie into a successful revenue cycle.
0: Mm-hmm. Kim, as you know, it was a highly interactive group. We had more than a hundred practice leaders in the room for those two days over, you know, six hours. And they were very interactive. So I wanted to get an idea from you. What intrigued you? What piqued your interest among the uh, sort of side conversations? Cause they, it was very active in that chat area over the two days.
2: Oh my gosh, they kept us busy, <laughs> but it was a great busy Daniel. Um, you know, so one thought that, or takeaway that I had from, from that session was that there were leaders from all walks of life right there were new uh, folks to to revenue cycle there were CFOs there were COOs CEOs billing managers coder you name it and what i think everyone got out of their their participation was a foundational understanding of the revenue cycle and that's always a a really good kind of recap for leaders who are in a high level who have staff who might be responsible for the day-to-day operations right so these leaders who attended they got to kind of peek behind the curtain to see what exactly their staff are dealing with what are some of the issues that their staff are facing and in the the two-day program we we gave the participants um, really great takeaways, to go back to their organizations and provide some resources to their workforce, um, put in place some evaluation processes. Uh, So so that was something that I think folks got out of it. But the other thing was the the updates. We wrote our revenue cycle management, Don't Get Lost in the Financial Maze book um, right before COVID. And obviously, you know, that was the olden days, right? That, <laughs> that was the olden, and that was only, you know, 12 months ago or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think participants were also looking for what's new related to our old ways of working. And how do we continue to innovate our revenue cycle, keeping that foundation in place, but continuing to innovate with the the new RVU structure, the new conversion factor, um, the new telehealth waivers, the new CPT changes, the e changes, and then the overall Medicare fee schedules. So we had some really lively discussions, and we got into the nitty gritty about prior authorizations and um, questions about you know staff certifications. So we've really got deep and you know kind of dig dug in deep with some of the the interactions that we had within the chat.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, before we sign off, then uh, Kim, you were talking about how um, you provided uh, the participants there with some takeaways and some different tools. I wanted to turn this to to Taya first as a final thought here. Is there a tool or takeaway then? you could give our audience right now something that they can build on because I know the ultimate goal here is to continue to improve the rev cycle, to continue to strive to optimize the rev cycle. So any final thought or takeaway then from you, Kim? I mean, Taya, sorry about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that the primary tool is always going to be your practice management system and your clearinghouse. Those are gonna be two tools that, you want to have clean data in. So make sure you've optimized the use of your practice management system in your clearinghouse. Make sure you have good data going into it. Make sure those data fields are being populated with the correct data. Um, you know, we don't want nicknames in for middle names and things like that that can reject claims. So really optimizing the use of that. I think that this is something that, you know, everyone says and, and it feels almost just beaten into oblivion, but it is truly so important because even if you start to layer on other analytic software and you're pulling in other BI tools, you can only do so much if you have bad data in the system or if you have fields that are improperly being entered or being entered and completed in different ways by different staff members. So really getting good data in right now is gonna be critical because I estimate that that soon most organizations are gonna be looking at those BI tools and those analytic software programs that they can lay over their systems to really dig deep into the KPIs that Ken was mentioning earlier.
2: Yeah, and I, I think a, a takeaway that that I would have, actually two, but they're interrelated, uh, evaluating your revenue cycle. Um, and was it last year that that we we did a pre-con um, on uh, evaluating your revenue cycle? So you know. yeah. Yeah. Really digging deep and finding those pain points in your revenue cycle, identifying those areas of weakness that you can improve, um, and then also mapping technology to each of your workflows. And this is critical uh, because we do have technology that will allow us to kind of move away from the, the paper intake forms and allow patients to use the patient portal uh, to, to reduce, you know, errors um, using denial management software uh, w- within your your denial prevention process. So looking at all of those areas, mapping your workflows, and then tying them to technology, I think is going to be a really great, um, innovative way to optimize your revenue cycle management.
0: Okay. Well, Kim, Taya, thanks again for joining us. Uh, we got a Get you back on, not wait a, another year plus next time to get you back on the show. Thank you so much.
1: Love it. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thank you, Daniel. We always appreciate it.
2: Yep. Stay safe, everyone.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guests, Kim Tolliver and Taya Moheiser. You can hear them speak at MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Pathways Conference in May. For more information, go to mgma.com slash pathways conference. Also, thanks to Nuance for sponsoring this week's show. Visit nuance.com DAX to sign up for a live stream demo and explore how DAX. Nuance's ambient clinical intelligence solution can transform your organization. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe, and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com membership. Thanks.